0: Gernot Wagner wrote a piece in New York Magazine called How I Greened My Pre-War Apartment, It Wasn't Easy. A Climate Economist Overhauls His Leaky 200-Year-Old Co-op. So Gernot Wagner, for people who don't know, he teaches at NYU, lives not far from me. We know each other, as I'll describe in a second. And he's got amazing credentials. So when it says climate economist, this is, he's a very well-known figure uh, making a difference. He and I live near each other. And he told me about the article a few days before it published, actually the first time we met in person after meeting online. In fact we sat directly across the street from the apartment in question. I think they were working on it at the time because we didn't go inside. Now, I believe that he and I share a mission. Uh, I think I can safely say that we both are trying to reverse humans lowering Earth's ability to sustain life. That's at the mission level. At the strategy level, I believe we agree on many strategies including personal action and above that government and corporate action. Now, I believe we differ on tactics at the level slightly below tra- strategies. Most of his tweets, for example, they overlap a lot with my views But there's often something I just can't quite get, but nor can I criticize. And when we spoke, some things about what he does I agree with and understand, and some things I don't. And I think he felt the same way about me, but we were both intrigued about what the other person did. And I want to illustrate the challenges of acting personally. This is what I really want to get at in this episode, especially challenges from people we agree with. First, I'll give some details about the article, then the blowback he and I received And then how huge the effect of that blowback is, that criticism from people who themselves are, I think, not acting. Well, for context, the point of action, people often ask, what's the most important thing someone can do? Is it avoiding meat, avoiding flying, avoiding driving, having fewer kids, replacing light bulbs? The thing about that perspective is that any single action by any one person, when you divide that by 7.9 billion, it becomes negligible. It's easy to say, if I don't fly, I lose a huge part of my life, but the effect on the world is so small. Well, by that logic, nothing makes any difference. By contrast, leading others multiplies any effect. If you stop driving, that's one thing, but if you lead a community to to drive a lot less, that's a much bigger effect, and that community can then lead other communities. Leadership, to me, leading others, is the biggest thing that we can do. If we want to change culture, that takes leadership. Leadership is not about telling people what to do, nor is it just doing something and hoping that they follow. Leading often means, it's not sharing information alone, it's role models, images, stories, beliefs, working on systems rather than in systems, things like that. Now to lead others, you must first lead yourself. So to me, the point of doing all these things, these individual level things of avoiding flying or avoiding eating meat or things like that, the point of doing all those things is to develop experience and credibility to enable you to lead others. It's very difficult to lead others to do something you haven't done yourself. And for that matter, When you actually do something, you realize just turning off lights when you leave the room is not the biggest thing. It's what do you do when you're at someone else's house? Or what do you do when someone's over at your place? And there's a conflict. If you want to avoid meat, what happens when you go home and your mom says, oh, I made you that favorite hamburger steak that you loved? Do you say no to your mom? Do you stick with it? Do you get into arguments? Do you not? How do you avoid these things? These are the challenges of changing one's personal behavior and habits, as well as changing culture. It's not here's what to do. We all know, consume less, have fewer kids. How do you actually implement that? Actually doing it, that's what leads to these things. Gernot renovating his apartment, it's a big deal, it's hard. He's doing things to German standards, as you'll hear. Well, not many Americans have done things to German standards, so it's hard. But he can do it better the next time. He can advise people to do it better. He can put it out there. Someone has to go first, and whoever goes first is gonna get criticized. It doesn't have to be that way. I have an old post in my blog on a rule that I have for myself. I have low standards the first time. I have low standards the first time. What I mean by that is that when I do something new, my measurement of of success is did I do it at all, not did I do it well. Because if I apply too much judgment to it, because action as opposed to analysis, planning, and judgment, it gets things done and actually learn a lot faster that way. So what happened to him went the other way. Well, I believe that he's very proud of what he did, but other people responding, it's really annoying and contrary. I mean, he's prepared for it, so he can handle it. All right, let me quote the article. The article starts off by saying, and I'm quoting the article at length here, most New Yorkers live in small apartments and don't drive. Two of the most important factors that make cities so climate friendly. Just by living as New Yorkers, we cut our carbon footprints by around 50% compared to the average suburban household. For this, many of us congratulate ourselves. But as a climate economist, I look at how policy can reduce carbon pollution and other greenhouse gases heating the planet at the scale of a city or country. And however proud we might be of big city, small apartment living, most emissions come from the buildings we call home. New York City, along with Paris, Tokyo, and other major cities, has committed to making new buildings net zero in carbon impact by 2030. But what about the buildings that went up well before energy efficiency entered the collective consciousness? I live in one of them. I'm still quoting him. Two years ago, we moved from Cambridge, Massachusetts, into a 200-year-old third-floor walk up in lower manhattan by bike no less along with the aid of trains and ferries now i have to interject here did he move from cambridge massachusetts to manhattan by bike and trains and ferries without moving trucks i have to ask him about that cuz that's what it looks like and i would be amazed if someone biked all their stuff from cambridge to new york anyway so let's get back into it quoting again the location was strategic a few minutes walk to my office a 10 minute bike ride to my gynecologist spouses so his wife is a gynecologist the climate impact of our commute, net zero carbon. The size, a 700-square-foot loft, was intentional. Our old Cambridge apartment was over twice the size, with four bedrooms, a living room, a balcony, the works. Most of our home life happily crammed into the 200-square-foot kitchen, which was rather small for a family of four cooking, playing, and working together. Okay, so now back to me. Notice how he lived in a very large place before. They had four bedrooms, a living room, a balcony, but actually spent most of the time in 200-square-feet. So he had this Epiphany or realization, recognition, that he didn't need so much space. So the family of four is living in a 750-square-foot loft. All right, back to the article. Oh, uh, what he found was that the place was really leaky. So when they put in the air conditioner, it would jam up the electrical costs. So back to the article, quoting the article now again. Our utility bill one month was $450. We'd always planned on tackling a renovation sooner or later, swapping appliances and adding some insulation in the process. A few nights sleeping next to the rattling air conditioner were enough for us to go all in. New to home ownership in the city, I started Googling. Quote, best contractor near me, end quote, didn't yield what I hoped for. Climate proofing your home was useless too. From my day job studying climate policy, I knew that Germany had some of the most stringent carbon cutting building codes in the world. I spoke the language, so why not go straight to the source? Now, he describes all of what he did as a gut renovation, replacing all these appliances, replacing the windows on the roof and things like that. He said, we were lucky to be able to spend $100,000 and then some on home renovations. Sure, our own con-ed bill is now down to around $100 a month, but it will still take decades for us to recoup our initial outlay. So the article goes on about then talking about how you can do it, what types of policies the government has, and things like that. He shares the experience that only by doing it can you get this experience. I think it's a very useful article. Now, let me read some of the comments. One of the person responds, greening sounds more like preening, wow, implying like, oh, this rich guy, sure, he can do it, but no one else can. Or another comment said, Wealthy New Yorkers who can afford such major upgrades perhaps shouldn't congratulate themselves too vigorously just for living in tight yet costly quarters. Their income gives them lots of housing options most of us lack. Their footprint is smaller mainly because almost everybody is smaller in such a tightly packed expensive city. The changes are still positive and worthwhile, but it seems to me they're a strange and expensive first world version of making the most of a building. Let me read another comment. Stupid money. Also a heat pump is a loser. For Gernot, a heat pump makes about as much sense as the rest of his bloated with BS project. This guy can fix a hole in the roof, but he can't fix stupid. This is really critical of people who are, he put himself out there. Of course he knows he's spending more than anyone else. Of course he knows most people can't do this, but he's putting himself out there. He is acting and showing what you can learn by doing this. He's not saying everyone else should spend $100,000. There's no way anyone could read the article to think that he doesn't get what these people are saying. He knows that. He's taking the risk to put himself out there, to open himself up to this criticism, and they walk right into it and criticize him for stuff that, do you see what I'm getting at? When he and I were speaking that day not long ago, just before this article came out, I commented, I just unplugged my refrigerator, which brought me down to a couple dollars a month, like 20 bucks a month. Now, this is a tactical difference. He's going for a big change that solves the problem once and for all, I'm going for something that's, I don't know, I'm step-by-step exploring. I read this article about how most of the world, or a lot of the world, Vietnam in the case of the article I was reading about, they ferment. And I thought, I wonder if I can ferment. I did it. It worked. I thought I couldn't keep my refrigerator unplugged for that long. Turned out the first time I did it for three months, the next time I did it for six and a half months. I was really happy with the results. Anyway, so I say this to him, and this woman who is sitting near us, I guess overheard, and says she calls me privileged for unplugging my fridge. Where does this come from? So I ask her, what is she talking about? And she says, people who have six kids in their family can't do something like that. To which I say, six kids in a family, that sounds really privileged. Either someone can afford that, in which case they got a lot of resources, or they can't afford it, in which case they must be getting a lot of support from somewhere. And she walked away. But this is what happens when you share your personal actions. Some are going to work, some are not going to work. At least we're trying I don't know, maybe she's trying, maybe she's not, I don't know, but she's sitting there calling me privileged, and she doesn't know anything about me. She didn't say, how difficult is your life, Josh? She just said you're privileged. So I want to share, this is not just individuals, you know, i got a chip on my shoulder about people calling me privileged. I'm sure Gernot, he knew what he was going to get into with putting this article out there, and he responded with little smiley faces and and making lighthearted comments in response to those comments. But I want to give the big picture here. I'm going to quote from my upcoming book a section on the systemic effects Of criticism like this. Now, I'm going to quote at length from my book. Dennis Meadows co-wrote a book on systems called Limits to Growth. He studied systems and taught them for decades, enough to learn simply describing them doesn't convey how they fool us. We have to have experience with them. He does a lot of interactive demonstrations. One systemic effect in a video online of him teaching a corporate audience applies here. By the way, uh, this is me again. The video online, I'll put a link to. I linked to it in my book's manuscript But this video is amazing and I'll put a link to it set to just the moment when the following scene happens. Back to quoting my book. He asks for six volunteers. One gets a stopwatch. Dennis gets out a hula hoop and explains that it represents greenhouse gas levels. He puts it around himself and asks the other five to stand in a circle around him, sticking out one index finger toward him. He rests the hoop on their fingers and tells them their task. When he says to start, they are to lower the hoop to the ground as fast as they can, but with a challenge. If anyone's finger descends faster than the others, and loses contact with a hoop, he will chastise that person, raise the hoop back to its starting position, and make them restart, all with the clock running. He wags his finger as he describes how he will shame them if they break ranks, showing how he will say that person wasn't a team player and did a bad job. I noted as I watched that there are big differences between hula hoops and greenhouse gas levels, but that the exercise accurately models two things. First, we can't force greenhouse gas levels down. We can only allow natural processes to turn them into trees or other benign forms. In principles, we can plant trees and use regenerative agricultural techniques, but the amounts they sequester are small compared to what we're releasing from fossil fuels and get released when the plant dies. Maybe one day we'll develop technology to pull carbon from the air in a way that we can store it back in the ground permanently, but we can't now. Today we can only lower our emissions and wait for nature. In this regard, restricting the volunteers to support the hula hoop only from below and not push it down represents our world. Second. Still quoting, moving faster than the mainstream gets you chastised. Try telling people you haven't flown in years, don't order takeout, or pick up other people's litter. People call me extreme, judge me, and lecture me that I'm out of touch or I'm wasting my time. So Dennis's demonstration accurately represents these two effects. Beyond greenhouse gases, the hula hoop could represent levels of pollution, deforestation, extinctions, or other environmental issues. Still quoting, before starting the volunteers, he asks audience members what they think will happen. I've asked many people what they think will happen, too. And I ask you to imagine what you will think will happen. Some predict they'll move the hoop down slowly. Others that they'll talk first to coordinate. Others that they'll start but lose contact a few times before organizing. People guess they'll take a minute, three minutes, maybe five minutes to lower the hoop. Before I tell you what happens, I suggest putting this book down and imagining what will happen when he says go. No one has predicted it right. I didn't either. The hoop goes up. Still quoting, the volunteers' faces look astonished as they unwittingly push it up. At first, they move slowly enough that you'd think they could stop themselves, but they don't. Rather, a couple stop, but the others keep going until the hoop goes above their heads and Dennis stops the demonstration. People ask me why it rose. You know as much as I do now, so you can figure it out as well as I can. As I see it, if we can only push up less, not push down, and we chastise people who go faster than the rest, nobody lowers. On the contrary, with each pushing up, however lightly, the hula hoop rises. Not wanting to be chastised, everyone keeps pushing up. Even if some stop, the rest continue enough to accelerate, eerily similar to how we're polluting the earth. When you work with systems enough, you come to expect such results. Okay, so done quoting. This is back to me again speaking live. Do you see what happens when we chastise people? It keeps people from acting personally themselves, exactly what we need in order to lead others, exactly what we need in order to change culture. People reinforce staying the way we are and that causes us actually to increase our emissions, increase our pollution, increase our garbage. If someone picks up the garbage and you say, oh, that's so dirty, respond with curiosity, with wondering what's going on, with what you can do instead. But saying you're weird, you're privileged, you're rich, you're out of touch, all these things, they might make sense to the person who finds out about something for the first time. But in terms of the systemic effect, I believe that this criticism, While it may seem like one person talking to another, I believe that this is a major cause preventing our culture from changing. So to whatever degree Gernot and I are operating in different ways, I heartily applaud not just what he did, but that he publicly stated it. He's going out there and swimming upstream and doing so will make it so that others will feel like they are swimming downstream who follow him. This is sadly the type of sticking your neck out that we need right now, but hopefully we change from criticizing and calling privilege, and saying, oh, all these rich people, they can do these things, but no one else can. We're trying, we're doing our best. Criticize us if you want, but think about it. What can you do instead? Can you change? Can you do it better? Can you at least defend this? Can you respond with curiosity rather than criticism? Can you th- see these people's role models? Can you imagine what it was like for the first people who acted in movements that were important to you that you agree with? Imagine the first women who wore pants, the criticism that they took, the people with different skin colors who sat next to each other at lunch counters in the South, all these things, the people who acted first took huge criticism. Do we have to relearn this lesson over and over again? Well, I hope I've covered this point enough. Check out the article by Gernot Wagner. Check out his other stuff. His new book is coming out pretty soon. He was telling me about that too. I don't think it's out quite yet, but by the time you're listening to this, it might be out. Read his articles and then see for yourself what you can do. Expect that people are going to criticize. Know that that's going to make the hula hoop. Well, unless you act, that'll make the hula hoop go up. I guess we'll have to roll with it for a little while. But eventually, we'll all feel like we're swimming downstream. It sounds like Germany is already there in terms of their housing. When I had Maya Rosen, I apologize for mispronouncing her name, from Sweden, on the podcast, she talked about how in Sweden, she hasn't been flying for something like 10 years, maybe more, I think more. And she talked about how most of that time in Sweden, people asked, why would you not fly? It was weird for them. But eventually, the practice took on, and it took a big boost when two Swedish celebrities wrote letters to the editor in Swedish that talked about the value of not flying. And then that helped switch over the Swedish culture so that now it's weird to fly, and you have to explain that. The norm has switched from flying to not flying. A lot of people are quick to say, oh, Sweden's different. That's not comparing Sweden to other places. That's comparing Sweden today to Sweden to, I think, just two years ago. That norm has switched. We can switch that here. That's what Gurnett's article made me think of and the responses to it. He may seem like he's sticking his neck out, but we can all do something similar Hopefully, we're not giving the blowback ourselves. Hopefully, we act on it and make it easier for others. We can pay it forward so they can feel like they're swimming downstream.